Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth with Building a Bridge to God's Word, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to look through the book of Titus. So last month we looked at translation issues in Titus 1, 5 through 9, and today we're going to move on to Titus 1, 10 through 16, and that will finish off chapter 1. I am hoping that I can go a little faster, so I'm hoping I can do two podcasts each month until we get through the book of Titus, and that's partially because our translation team is going quite a bit faster. So the team has actually already drafted the whole book and done an exegetical check, and they are back now in chapter one doing a comprehension check. So we are in the same place because they're doing comprehension checking, but I'm hoping that we can keep up with them a little bit more if we do two podcasts a month. So just in case you don't know, <laughs> comprehension checking means that they're writing questions that they will use when they read the text to local people who haven't heard it yet. And they'll read the text and ask the questions, and that helps just to make sure that people are understanding the meaning of the text correctly. So when they do that, one of the things that they're looking for is whether people can catch the implicit meaning in the text. So that's today's translation principle, implicit versus explicit meaning. So explicit meaning is pretty clear, right? That's the meaning that's actually stated, the words that are actually stated. But a lot of times there is information that is implied or that anybody who heard it would understand. Whenever two people are communicating, they have certain shared information. And so that information doesn't need to be outright stated because everybody knows it. So just to give you an example, if you're from Wisconsin, you'll know that this year our beloved Packers aren't doing that great. So just a few days ago, I was having lunch with some friends and someone mentioned that the Bucks, which is Wisconsin's basketball team, are doing well. And then someone else replied, well, at least one Wisconsin team has a good record. So everybody at the table knew that they were making a comment about the Packers because we all share that information about our teams and whether or not they are doing good. But if you'll notice, I am not sure about my podcast listeners. I'm not sure if you all know that the Bucks are our basketball team. So I actually outright stated that. I made it explicit, whereas a Wisconsin person probably wouldn't need that to be outright. So there you go. There is a little example of implicit versus explicit meaning. So in the Bible, there's often shared information that the author won't state because the original audience would have known that information automatically. And that's our implicit information. It's implied. It's not outright stated. So as a translator, you have to know what information is implicit. So that involves some study to find out what in the original culture they would have understood without, without it being outright said. And then you have to decide if it needs to be made explicit. So it's okay to do that because the meaning is already there. The author would assume that meaning, but 
it may be that today's audience doesn't understand that meaning. They don't understand it right away. So it needs to be actually stated in words. And we have a nice example of that in our text today. So we will be able to see what that looks like. So that said, let's go ahead and read Titus 1, 10 through 16. So again, I'm, as I have in other podcasts, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. It's a little bit more of a word-for-word -word translation, so that is helpful when we're thinking about translation issues. So here it is, Titus 1, 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So that is our text that we're going to consider. And did you catch that information? Or maybe there was something in the text that you didn't totally understand uh, that could be implicit information. It's actually right at the beginning in verse 10. So let's read verse 10 again. It says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So that right there is our information that the original readers would have attached a meaning to that we don't necessarily know. And that's the phrase, those of the circumcision party. So this little phrase made perfect sense to the original readers. They knew exactly who Paul was referring to. But in today's society, we don't have a circumcision party. <laughs> and we so we might not know who that is, though we, we might have a guess. If you've read the Bible for a long time and understand a little bit about the Bible, you might have a guess who it is. So it is the circumcision party were Jews. They practiced circumcision as a sign of the covenant, but there's even a little bit more to it here. They are Jews who have converted to Christianity. So they're Christians now, but they're continuing to tell people that they have to be circumcised in order to be Christians. So their teachings are causing some major problems. And the following verse says, they are upsetting whole families. And the word upsetting in that verse literally means to overturn or upset. But in the context, the meaning is like subverting or undermining. So the implication is that they are destroying these people's faith because of their false teaching. So being upset isn't feeling a little irritated. It's actually having their faith thrown into question by these teachings. So... The circumcision party are Jews who have converted to Christianity, but are continuing to teach that you must be circumcised and follow other Jewish laws in order to truly be saved. So let's move to thinking about translation. That's all really good background information, but we have to remember that this is a translation and not a devotional, so we can't say all of those things. 
So here's some examples of how you could actually put this information into the text so that it's outright stated. So you could say, many of these teachers belong to the group that insists that all men be circumcised, as the Jewish law said. So by saying many of these teachers, they are getting at the idea, which is actually going to follow, that they are teaching people and that is upsetting whole households. Then they say belong to the group that insists. So there we're getting that circumcision group in idea. They insists that all men be circumcised. Again, there's the idea of circumcision as the Jewish law said. So there, there, that's where they're actually expressing this underlying idea that this is coming from the Jewish law. There are some versions that just say something simple like Jewish converts. So the first translations get a little bit more in depth so that might be better if your audience doesn't have a lot of understanding of Jewish law, but saying something like Jewish converts might be more appropriate if people have a little bit more of that implied information. So that's one of the biggest issues in this section, but if we keep reading, we can see a few other things that are issues as well. I'm going to look here at verses 11 through 14 altogether. There's just a few things in those verses. So that says they must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So we mentioned already this word upsetting and that we want to choose a word that implies that they're causing people to lose their faith. So it needs to be a strong word, not just a simple like, oh, I feel upset. But this is a very significant thing that is happening. Another word that we could look at is in verse 12, the word prophet. It says one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own. So prophet's kind of a word we'll, we'll have to handle with care. A lot of times in translations, there might be a specific word used for a prophet of God, someone who speaks the words of God. So this person is not a prophet of God. It's a person within their own culture who says wise sayings, that type of thing. So if you have the word prophet, if it's going to apply a prophet of God, you might want to use another word like a sage or a wise man. So that's one thing to look at in verse 12. In verse 14, you can see another bit of implied information. It says they shouldn't devote themselves to Jewish myths. So this is another thing which I think the original readers would have immediately had a reference for. They knew what the Jews believed, though maybe part of the sound doctrine that they had to learn was how to separate what was really in the scriptures from what was added in Jewish thinking. And so the word that Paul uses here for myth, it actually is a Greek word, myth, that's where we get our word from, uh, but it doesn't really have a nice connotation. It's always used in a negative sense, and it denotes something that is fiction. So when you're translating that word, you do want to get that idea that it's a myth, it's a fictional belief or a fictional story. So there's probably a few other things in those verses, but those are just some examples of different things you can look at. 
But when we move on to verse 15, we get a whole verse that is a little bit hard to understand. And that makes it hard to translate. So verse 15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So when I first read this, or as I've read the book of Titus without thinking about translation, oftentimes I get to verse 15 and think, how is this connected? What does this have to do with the rest of what he's talking about? Um, How does it relate to the previous verses? So I think when you understand some of the implicit information that we've already talked about, we actually can see the link that Paul is making across this passage, and it helps us to understand verse 15. So thinking back to him saying in verse 10 that the Jews who are leading people astray are those of the circumcision party. So that idea of circumcision is important. And then here in verse 14, he's talking about Jewish myths. So he's he's drawing this connection people who think circumcision is the way to salvation and that those people might not be telling the truth it might be more along the lines of a myth and so those people are saying how you become pure is through circumcision how you become pure is following jewish customs and jewish food laws too so they're saying what makes you pure doing these certain rituals. And here Paul is saying, no, that's not true. To the pure, so he's he's not making it very explicit there, but he's saying, if you have been saved, if you believe in God and he has made you pure, then all things are pure for you. You don't have to do these rituals in order to make something pure. You don't have to follow the laws of circumcision. You don't have to eat the Jewish, follow the Jewish food laws because all things are already pure for you. But on the other hand, it says to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So if you don't believe, then you are spiritually defiled and therefore it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised. It doesn't matter if you're following these food laws. That is not going to make you pure. Nothing is pure for you. So that's the underlying meaning of this verse. We have Paul's point that it's not the rituals that make you pure. It is God and through salvation, through belief. Now, we can't say all that in the text. Again, it wouldn't be a translation. It would be an interpretation. So how do we make it a good translation of this verse? How do we do a good translation that's clear and natural. So we have a few suggestions here. When we start and say, to the pure, all things are pure, we could say, as for the people who are clean or holy or pure before God, there is nothing that is impure or wrong for them to do, to use, to eat, you know, however you want to finish off that clause, how broadly you want to interpret that. That's some options. Those for those who are clean before God, there is nothing impure for them to, to use. Then the second half of the verse that says, to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So a way that you could say that is, but to those who are spiritually defiled and do not trust in Christ, so there we get defiled and unbelieving, they cause everything they do or touch to become impure. 
and you can even add ritually and spiritually. So you're getting the idea there, defiled and unbelieving. And because of that, everything they do becomes impure. So you can see how those translations add that underlying meaning in, but they're still using the keywords and key ideas from the text. And so that makes it a faithful translation. So that's some options for verse 15. That one's really a bit of a challenge, but once you, once you see that implicit information through the text and find ways to bring it to the surface so that people can understand it nowadays, then you can see that link through the text. So our last verse then is verse 16. It's a little bit more straightforward. It says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So this verse is pretty straightforward, like I said, but it does have the, some difficult words, like the word detestable. What exactly does that mean? In one translation that I've looked at, they actually say they are the ones that God hates. And when I read this, my first thought was, this is way too strong. We can't say God hates them. But as I did some study, I realized saying a person who's detestable is a person that God hates is actually an acceptable translation. And it's a good reminder as a translator to check my own cultural perceptions. American culture, we don't like to say God might hate someone. We like to say he loves people. He accepts people, right? But here, this that is the point of this verse. This point is showing how horrible this sin really is to God, how horrible it is that he is drawing people away, that these people are drawing people away from faith. That is detestable to God. God hates that. He hates to see sin destroying someone's faith. Phew. So <laughs> that is the end of this section. Ends on a little bit of a low note for sure. Thinking about these people who are destroying people's faith and the way that God feels about that. But next time we'll move on to chapter two. In chapter two, Paul talks about what sound doctrine is. So how we should behave and especially what appropriate relationships look like within the church. So for our translation principle, we thought about the importance of taking those implicit concepts in the text and making it explicit or making it um, actually spoken on the surface for people who don't have that same cultural background. And we looked specifically at this phrase, those of the circumcision group, and how important that was for maintaining that thread through the whole passage all the way up until what makes us pure. So I hope that this little look at the book of Titus has given you some insight into this passage and then also into some translation issues. So thank you for joining us. And then I hope you'll join us again next time for Building a Bridge to God's Word. <music>